San Antonio district judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I f***ing love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that post the next. Big jab there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. They're a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, and you want to put me in a good mood on a Monday morning. TJ DeSantis, mission accomplished with the mere Duffy Open. Ken Flo's laughing. Good to see you, kid. <laughs> good to see you too, man. And soon uh, everybody will be able to see you as we get our asses back on YouTube. It is Monday, June 24th, 2019 is the year. It is episode 206 of the Anakin Florian podcast. And it is early a.m. It is 7.30 a.m. Pacific. Ken Flo is back from the East Coast. When did you exactly get back? Like a few hours before you hopped on the air today or what? Oh, man. Uh, I got back yesterday afternoon. That, that, that's the only reason you, you, you're, we're doing this podcast at 7.30 a.m. Pacific is because now I'm on East Coast time. So I'm waking up early and now I'm screwed completely. And I'm sure you got other stuff going on today. It's not just I do. I battle do. bots I or something. Yeah, I got a bunch of stuff to do today. So, uh, so any anyone who follows you on social media knows you're on the East Coast, South Carolina, New Hampshire, Boston, back at the Florian Martial Arts Center with uh, yes. with the man Keith Florian, with my favorite Florian brother. So, how was that? <laughs> it looked like you guys minted your first. You know, start to finish Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, man. You know, we opened the school about 11, 12 years ago, uh, Florian Martial Arts Center in Brookline. And um, he, he, this kid came in, Sean Fitzgerald, 10 and a half years ago as a white belt. He said, you know, he did like a 20-minute introductory lesson. He said he was exhausted after like just like standing up in base and shrimping, you know, like the two basic things you do in Jiu-Jitsu. Right. And he's like, oh, I'm going to try this. And, man, he stuck with it, and he's become very, very good uh, and very proud to, uh, to to give him a black belt. And, again, him starting with us and finishing with us – or not, maybe not finishing with us, continuing yeah. with us to black belt uh, is truly an honor, man. It was, it was a special moment for our gym. Very cool. So I remember in 2008 or 9, whenever it was, when you guys opened the school – yeah, and how exciting it was! Prime real estate in Brookline, Massachusetts. But I would imagine at that time you didn't necessarily think that, even though maybe you had Los Angeles in the back of your mind, you didn't think that two years after opening the school that uh, you would move your entire life to the West Coast. Is that right? <laughs> I know, I know, yeah. dude. It's crazy. Uh, yeah, I've I've been here. Well, I guess I've been here what since two thousand twelve. Yeah, yeah. two thousand twelve. So. so wild. What a trip. Well, thankfully, Keith Florian is still holding it down. And, of course, we got May Rocky, BJJ, Florian Fusion West. That's right. <laughs> All right. So a lot to get to today. Big weekend for the Korean Zombie. We'll recap 
UFC Fight Night Moicano versus the Korean Zombie. We will also get you predictions for UFC Fight Night in Ganu versus Dos Santos. And this is just a crazy stretch coming up for the UFC. For the first time in my career broadcasting, I will do five UFC events in a six-week stretch. So I'm looking wow. at my my itineraries right now from Minneapolis all the way through Anaheim, uh, and it's a little bit intimidating. But uh, we got Minneapolis this weekend. Uh, Ray Longo doesn't like the early start time. He has yet to text me back. So Longo might be coming up in 10 minutes. Otherwise, we will segue to the pronunciation of the week and the main event challenge for Ngannou versus Dos Santos. But let us begin with a man who should never be the forgotten man as far as I'm concerned in mixed martial arts, the Korean zombie, Chan Sung Jung. He knocks out Hanato Moicano in 58 seconds. Ken Flo, you loved him as a plus 155 underdog. You liked him by knockout. Cashes for you in a big way. Uh, but big picture, I think this is just an underappreciated fighter, whether it's because of the military service or the inactivity, whatever it is, this is a viable elite featherweight that I do believe at some point is going to work his way back into a championship situation. At the very least, this weekend was a huge step in that direction. And I tell you what, if you fight the Korean zombie, you better be a pretty damn disciplined fighter because he will find a way to get you to brawl with him or at least make it a nasty fight. This guy wants to suffer with you. Um, he, he always takes a very brutal uh, and grueling approach. And he drew Moicano right into his game very, very early. And, uh, you know, Moicano took the bait and absolutely paid for it with a beautiful shot from the Korean zombie. Uh, and, and that was pretty much it. And that's what concerned me. I did not think it was going to happen about 20 seconds, 10 seconds into the fight. Uh, but I thought eventually at some point the Korean zombie would get Moicano to brawl with him and trade shots in the pocket. That's exactly what he did. Wrong move for Moicano. Right. He did not have the patience. He did not have the discipline. He saw he saw Korean Zombie right there. He's like, ah, oh, there's there's the target. Boom. Right. He went right. to sleep. Yeah, a lot of people are, are calling into question the fight IQ of Moicano, or at the very least, just his decision to engage in that type of fight, especially so early on. So Chan Sung Jung becomes the first featherweight in UFC and WEC history with two knockouts in under a minute. The other one, of course, the quick one back in the day against Mark Hominick. So if you are preparing to fight Chan Sung Jung, uh, you might have to just make it not the most entertaining fight in the world, right? I mean, what is the strategy to try to beat a prime Korean zombie? He's a high-energy fighter, and, and I think you need to diffuse that kind of high energy. You at least cannot let him get started and get into a rhythm and get momentum. And I think, you know, you have to be a very sharp counterfighter. You're going to have to at least try to find a way to maybe put him on his back um, and mix things up. You have to confuse him. You have to throw a lot of different things at him and be able to get in and get out and not just stay planted inside the octagon and, and not move. If you do that and people forget this guy can really crack, man. He's got power in those hands. So Chan Sung Jung with a huge win over Hinato Moicano, and it's obviously a significant setback for Moicano now, um, who has lost a couple fights back-to-back -to, -back to Aldo and the Korean Zombie. He was a guy who many people were anointing as a possible future number one featherweight contender. So what do you think will be next for the Korean Zombie? You got a little bit of a log jam. Obviously, you have Frankie yeah. Edgar and Max Holloway July 27th, Alexander Volkanovsky waiting in the wings. But this is a guy who 
is on a Justin Gaethje level, in my opinion, in terms of his ability to deliver. If you slot him into the main event, it's essentially bulletproof matchmaking. And yeah. that's why even though, as we mentioned, the military service took out a chunk of Chan Sung Jung's prime, this is still his fifth straight UFC main event. So it seems like when they go to him or they go to Duho Choi or Justin Gaethje, from a matchmaking perspective, it seems like they're looking at headlining bouts and most would agree that the Korean Zombie is probably going to get another one in some sort of eliminator situation next, I would think. Without a doubt. Listen, if I'm the UFC, I'm going to put guys like the Korean Zombie, Justin Gaethje, in my main event as much as possible. He's a guy that uh, never fails to deliver. Um, and he might lose here and there, but as far as exciting performances, he always shows up to fight. Um you know, listen, I, I think anyone in that top 10 would be an interesting fight for the Korean Zombie. Um, you know, again, he did have a setback against Yair Rodriguez not too long ago, right. um, but now coming back uh, w with fire. And I think, um, you know, he has the capability of really beating a, a lot of guys uh, for, in that division, a lot of the elite guys. I think he has that kind of power. He's huge for the division. Um, and, uh, you know, he'll, he'll continue to deliver exciting performances. So my younger brother was actually on business in Greenville, South Carolina, and our guy Zach Candido got him a couple tickets to this show. And when you talk about organically sort of building a fan base, and I know the Korean Zombie t-shirts were all the rage several years ago, right? But my twin, my younger brother texts me after the fight like, well, I got a new favorite fighter, right? Korean flags are flying. Everybody is getting behind the Korean Zombie. And I just think he has this sort of mass appeal for a guy who – doesn't even speak English as his second language, right? Essentially, there's yeah. no English from Chan Sung Jung, but he just has this infectious smile, an unquestionably entertaining fighting style, and has this ability to appeal to the masses in a way that not a lot of fighters, especially the non-English speaking ones, just haven't been able to do. So I give him a lot of credit for that, too. Uh, well, without a doubt, listen, this is the guy who he doesn't need to speak any English. You know exactly what he's saying, what he means and what he's all about every single time he fights. He's out there to kill or be killed. Uh, and, and fans love that. And, and of course, if you're a promoter, that, that that's your dream right there to have a fighter like that and, and deliver that kind of consistency as far as knowing that this is a guy who always comes to fight like a Donald Cerrone, like a Tony Ferguson, like a Justin Gaethje. This is why those guys are big stars. This is why everyone loves, loves the Korean zombie as well. So Frankie Edgar is number four in the world. He's getting the title fight. Volkanovski is the unquestioned number one contender. Brian T. City Ortega, number two. Jose Aldo, number three. Moicano was five. So Korean Zombie likely to get into that top five. Of course, you do have Yair Rodriguez, as you mentioned, who is number 11 in the world and Chan Sung Jung, 12. So uh, perhaps that's a fight that we see again at some point in time. You know, Calvin Cater is a guy who is out there. Oof. I know Jer Jeremy Stevens has called for the Korean zombie fight. Zabit Magomed Sharipov there at number six in the world. Um, you could go T-City. I mean, a lot of different directions they could go uh, when it comes to the future. It, it, Calvin Cater is, is the name that kind of uh, jumped yeah. out for me right now. I think that would be an awesome fight. Both those guys entertaining uh, and Cater, obviously, tremendous hands that he showed in his last fight. A little bit more patient. He's a guy I think would be a tough matchup for the Korean Zombie. But I think if I'm Calvin Cater and his management group, I'd look at the Korean Zombie. All right, a couple other fights that I want to get to. Just an 11-fight card, by the way, in Greenville, South Carolina, after they lost the Rob Font-John Lineker fight. And by the way, could that be any more disappointing for Rob Font? And I know he Ugh. handled it well, at least publicly, but... You lose Cody Stamen as an opponent, right? You've trained side-by-side -side with Calvin Cater. You see your right-hand man, your best friend, get a monumental win a couple weeks prior. 
You get a new opponent, John Lineker. You really feel like you're in position to to produce the biggest win of your career, a signature win, and, and Lineker gets a cut the night before the weigh-in and the fight's off. Got a feel for Robbie Font here, huh? Yeah, is there any word on how it happened there? What they were just like throwing hands and sparring a little bit lightly? I don't even know. I mean, maybe yeah. they were trying to make up for lost time a little bit because Lineker obviously fought Corey Sandhagen not all that long ago and stepped yeah. in on short notice. So maybe they were going a little bit harder than you would on a Thursday night. I don't really know, but obviously didn't even make it to the scale. And, and for Font, obviously the opportunity now goes by the boards. Yeah, I don't know how the hell that happens. But anyways, yeah, very unfortunate for Rob Font. Um, and I think he was in a, in a, in a great opportunity to maybe pull off that upset and Lineker is always going to be a tough out but uh, Rob Font I, I think had some momentum heading into this had a lot of confidence heading into this fight has a style that it continue, continues to move in and out uh, could have that recipe to beat a guy like Lineker and elevate his status in that tough division so right. For Rob Font, uh, very unfortunate, man. Hopefully the UFC is able to uh, turn him around very quickly but uh, as we know, man, it, it's not easy to do that. Only 11 fights in Greenville, South Carolina. I actually went back and looked. When we called our debut together, I know you mm. had called UFC 83 back in the day, but it was January of 2012, Jim Miller, Melvin Gillard, Nashville, Tennessee. It was nine or ten fights, and that was sort of the norm. And I feel like yeah. the, the 11 fights this weekend was just very ingestible, you know, yeah. as a fan. Even though there was a, a run on decisions there at the beginning of the main card, uh, I think 11 more digestible than 13 for a UFC fan, uh, but I digress. A couple other things want to treetop quick, quickly. I don't know if you saw the whole Randy Brown, Brian Barbarina fight, but Randy Brown is really using his developmental time to his advantage. And that's been something we've heard Randy say a lot throughout his UFC career that I need time in between fights. And when I take that time in between fights, you're going to see a better version. Brian Barbarina is a tough motherfucker, <laughs> right? To get that guy out of there. And I think he might have even done it quicker than Vicente Luque. Or did Barbarina and Luque go the distance? I don't remember. Yeah, but yeah, for, but for, for Randy Brown to get the hard-nosed Brian Barbarina out of there after getting elevated to the co-main event on this fight card, this is sort of the next-level win that, that Randy Brown has been looking for for quite some time. And I'm excited to see what he does next. Uh, I remember when we talked about it. You know, I, I thought that Randy Brown had the potential to do it. I think I ended up be, uh, picking Barbarina just because of his chin and all that stuff. But... Right. The, the problem with Barbarina, he does get hit a lot, and Randy Brown can crack, man. He's got power. Um, he's got that speed. He has some good movement. And like you said, I think he's he takes advantage of what he's doing in between fights, and I think that's the difference. Um, I say it all the time. Again, these fighters should be getting better every single time out. If they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, there are no camps. You sh should be training year-round as a martial artist to get better. Period. You don't mm -hmm. just train when you have a fight. And I think Randy Brown's one of those guys who is training all the time. Um, and he looked a lot sharper because of it. He was expected to face Chance Wren counter in January of 2019. He pulled out of that fight, undisclosed reasons. So it amounted to a near year layoff, 11 months or so for uh, for Randy Brown. And, and he actually, two minutes quicker, Vicente Luque got Barbarina out of there, 454 of round three, three. 254 yeah. of round three for, uh, for Randy Rudeboy Brown. So congratulations to him. And also I wanted to talk about Dan Ige for a little bit. I didn't get to watch all of the prelims. I certainly saw the featured prelim between Dan Ige and a very tough Kevin Aguilar. Unanimous decision for Ige. Somehow Kevin Aguilar is able to survive and hear that final horn. But when Dan Ige made his UFC debut on short notice, I believe it was, I don't think a lot of people envisioned him as a future 
bona fide featherweight title contender. I think a lot of people said, oh, he he works with Ali Abdelaziz and he works for Dominance MMA. He's a part-time manager. And I think wrongfully, maybe we judged him uh, because of that circumstance when the reality is that this dude is an absolute animal, has one of the longer winning streaks now in this featherweight division. And he said by the end of 2019, he's going to be top 15. I think on the strength of this performance, I would find room for him in the top 15, even if it's 14 or 15 in the world. And I sit here on a Monday morning, very excited to see what the future holds for Dan Ige in a division uh, that obviously is loaded. But I think there's a place for him for sure after what we saw this weekend. Yeah, well, listen, I, I wasn't able to see the fight, unfortunately, but uh, I think Dan Ige with that consistency in that kind of division says a lot. It says a lot about his toughness. Um, the fact that, you know, he is still very focused as a fighter um, and, and to get a win in what I think is probably the second or third toughest division in the UFC is very impressive. So, yeah, he's going to he's going to move up. So Danny gave four consecutive wins. The only guys ahead of him in terms of the active win streaks at featherweight Volkanovsky, Magomed Sharipov, Arnold Allen, and of course the champion Max Holloway. Deron Wynn, DC's boy, made his UFC debut. First fight of the night, he connects with a new single-fight UFC middleweight record, 169 significant strikes. He gets by the short, shortest-of-notice replacement, Eric Spicely. That was the fight of the night. Tremendous fight. Certainly got Dana White going. And we've been hearing about Deron Wynn for some time, so congratulations to him. There's also a heavyweight, Jairzinho Rosenstrike. I haven't called his fight yet, so I'm probably butchering the hell out of that name. But he gets Alan Crowder out of there in nine seconds, the second fastest knockout in UFC heavyweight history. Certainly an injection of talent in the heavyweight division. Excited to see where he takes this things moving forward. Also, congratulations on the main card. Kevin Holland, Andrea Lee, and Andre Yule, all winners by unanimous decision. All right, quick recap for you there on Chan Sung Jung and Hanato Moikano. We're going to get some picks in a moment. Um, but Longo blew us off, so we're going to go to the pronunciation of the week. TJ DeSantis, 3-5 and five on the young year. This fighter, he is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu whiz. I'm not sure if he's a black belt, but a tremendous submission practitioner. He faces your boy Eric Anders this weekend in Minneapolis. TJ DeSantis, of whom am I speaking? Vinicius Moeda. Before you play the file, so it's actually Moreda, right? So you got to roll both of the R's, and and you failed to roll that first R. Uh, so it's probably going to be a loss for me. Uh, let's hear him say it, and then Ken Flo will will be the final uh, verdict. Vinicius Moreira. Agora só devagar. Vinicius Moreira. Ken Flo, what do you got? Uh, you know, you know what, dog. You know, for me, dog, that's a no, dog. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a definite no. Oh yeah. man, sorry, TJ. That, yeah, like that's Ken Flo's little American Idol, little <laughs> subtle American Idol, Randy. <laughs> what's his name? Randy something. All right, Vinicius Moreira fighting this weekend, and you can see it on ESPN. He takes on Eric, your boy Anders. What's my record All now? Right. Your record is three and six, but uh, I'm sure the listeners they always come to your defense. So I'm sure the listeners are going to tell me you should be four and five. I mean, I agree with with that. I, I tried to roll both R's. It's like a disability. I'm not able to. Don't hold that against me. Well, you know what I was thinking is that next week or in the weeks to come, leading into an Invicta FC broadcast, you could turn the tables on me, send me a name without the benefit of the audio file, and, and see if I could pronounce it. Oh, you you're know? on. Because I think when you haven't heard it, you're just guessing. We have a fighter making his UFC debut this weekend, and his name is Dalcha. Lungiambula, 
and oh I haven't God. gotten his audio file yet. He's fighting Justin Ledette in a light heavyweight prelim. Uh, but again, that that's like me just looking at that name for the first time. Fuck if I know how to pronounce it, you know. Dolce Lungiambula. All right, I digress. We got to make some picks. UFC Fight Night in Ganu versus Dos Santos. Target Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota, this Saturday. Let's get to the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. Annex. The time is most definitely now. Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. All right, so it was 72 to 64 heading into UFC Greenville. Ken Flo and Ian Parker tied 5-5. So an underdog winner for Parker on Randy Brown at plus 200. Flo had the Korean Zombie by TKO as his big hit. So the bleeding is stopped temporarily. 77-69 is the Team Anik lead now as we come up on UFC Minneapolis and we welcome in Ian Parker. IP, we'll take a tie, my man. How goes your Monday? It goes well. You know, I had a really good idea for the opening part of the show. After Kenny says, I finish fights, I want to say, I place bets. That's all I want. <laughs> I just want mine that's and actually I place good, bets. That's a good tagline for you. And speaking of which, I know you texted me you were contemplating, and I hope I'm not speaking out of turn, a $25,000 wager on Pauli Malinaji in the bare-knuckle boxing setting over the weekend against Artem Labov. And I'm glad that... Uh, that you decided to sit that one out and lay off because uh, that would have been a big ticket to rip up, my man. You know, you know what? When you uh, when you hit every single bet on a UFC card and it's over way before the main event starts, I, I was feeling a little frisky. I was like, you know what? How can Paulie lose? I don't really think he necessarily lost, but I'm so glad that my local guy doesn't take action on bare knuckle, or else uh, <laughs> that would not have been as uh, profitable of a night. But uh, yeah, you actually did say stay away because you kind of felt it for Artem. I just, man, in a straight boxing fight, I just don't see how that really would have worked. But, hey, yeah. that's what the bare-knuckle fighting championship shows you. Anything can happen, I guess. <laughs> well, right, and it's not straight boxing, right? I think there are certain variables. The five rounds Correct. is a variable, obviously, instead of 12. Um, but, yeah, and I would think even if your local guy is taking action on bare-knuckle boxing, um, I know your bankroll is fatter than mine, but who's taking a $25,000 straight wager on bare-knuckle boxing? I don't know. I, it sounds like a high limit to me, you know? He, he, was, he was so pissed when I uh, threw a couple of heavy-duty parlays on this card and threw Randy Brown on those parlays. He was not happy. So, if you, so from now no on, I want you to send me. I'd like you to parlays that he was going to take that, yeah. So send me your winning tickets from now on, because it's not that I don't believe you, but you did have Hanato Moicano, and you're telling me you swept the card, you know? No, no, no. If you remember what I said. So and I actually posted this on my page. There were a few parlays that I, when I had Moicano, what I did was, and this is something Kenny and I talked about, I hedged for Zombie when it came down to that last one. And because Zombie, so pretty much I covered myself. But the other parlays I did was like Tana, Holland, Lee, and Jair. I did Wynn, Holland, and Lee. I kept mixing and matching, and then I threw Brown in one of them. I had Moicano in a bunch. So some of these ones I hit really big. The ones that I had, I probably had Moicano in two or three of them. I hedged with Zombie. But the other ones I did strictly earlier on because the way my strategies are, I like to try to be up a solid amount going into the main card. So if I do get to a main event, and this is why last week I kept going back and forth with Kenny about it. I really don't know it's like a coin flip in the situation. If right. I hedge, at least I made my money earlier in the night, and it's no longer a stressor. 
All right, well, let's get to the picks here. I mean, you sound like a guy that does not need the Anakin Florian podcast. That you've got <laughs> plenty of residual mixed martial arts income. But let's get to it, boys. First fight today, light heavyweight. Fortis MMA's Alonzo Menafield, minus 275. Paul Bearju, Craig. Craig. Craig or Craig? I know the Scots are unhappy. I Craig. think we'll go Paul Craig. He comes back at plus 225. Ian, Metafield not ranked yet, but he is undefeated, 8-0. Likely going to be ranked if he gets a win here. Your thoughts on the main card opener between Metafield and Craig? As much as I love a good bear Jew, um, it's just so hard to pick Paul Craig, even though he keeps surprising everyone and pulling out these ridiculous finishes. At some point, someone's just got to be smart and just don't do something stupid against this guy with 10 seconds left on the clock and burn your tank. I'm going to take Medfield. I, I'm going to take Alonzo. I just think his athleticism, you know, I'm hoping a guy who's going to come out with the confidence of being undefeated is not going to let the bright lights get to him. I just, Paul Craig throws me off, man. I could never, ever bet on him simply because he takes a ton of damage and he just always pulls off a last crazy minute upset. So I'm, I'm going with the favorite on this one simply because I like the undefeated prospect and also I just can't bet on Paul Craig. Yeah, I think or you Craig, hit a lot of good Craig, points. Sorry. Craig, Craig has Craig, yet to Craig. win. Paul Craig has yet to win back-to-back fights in the UFC. Has a chance to do that this weekend. He did beat another Fortis MMA guy, Kennedy and Zechaku, in Philadelphia late March. Now goes for his fourth UFC win overall here. But he is the underdog, Ken Flo. What do you think? Yeah, listen, I, I, I'm with Ian here. I think Alonzo Medifield just going to have too much power. I think he's. I think he's going to be a little bit... Too smart to, to fall into the game plan of, of someone like Craig. So, um, yeah, I, I think Metafield gets it done. And you're giving Safe Saud back-to-back training camps, granted with different fighters, but to prepare for this Paul yeah. Craig guy. A uh, lot of motivation for Fortis MMA and Alonzo Metafield this weekend. All right, lightweight fight here. Drew Dober, the prohibitive minus 320 favorite. Hard to recall a previous fight of his that had him in this territory. He takes on Marco Polo Reyes, Ian, who is plus 255. Who do you have in this one? So, you know, you bring up a good point that we, you know, Dober's activity kind of throws me off. However, his last fight showed, I think, a pretty strong evolution in his game. He wasn't just this bull-rushing wrestler. And Marco Polo was just too inconsistent for me. You know, this is another fight where as much as I want to take an underdog for the purpose of points against Kenny, I just think Dober is the smarter fighter. I think where he is his strengths are. That's kind of raises weaknesses. I think he could just kind of grind out a decision if he wants. He's not someone who's going to get away from what's got him to this point, which has really been that clinch game, the wrestling. So I'm going to take the favorite here. I'm not super duper confident um, in the minus 320 with him. I think that's really high, but I would have put him at like a minus 190. So I'm still right. going to take Dober in this fight. Right, just picking winners here, but obviously you don't see too much value on Drew Dober at minus 320. And Ken Flo, somewhat yeah, of a no. journeyman at this point in this lightweight division, mm-hmm. really hasn't been able to break through with that signature win yet. I mean, he has won five of seven overall, the two losses uh, by submission against previously ranked fighters, Benil Daryush, Olivier Obama, Mercier. Reyes on the other side, three UFC knockouts to his credit, bonus in each of those wins. Uh, but he has lost two of his last three, and both of those were via stoppage, Ken Flo. So what do you think, Drew Dober or Marco Polo Reyes? You know, I, I think if you were talking about an older, uh, uh, younger Drew Dober, you know, from maybe a couple of years ago, um, right. you know, I probably would have gone with the underdog here because uh, Polo Reyes, I, I mean, he's just, he, he finds a way to, again, kind of make it ugly, and you get into these brawls, and, and it favors him. 
Um, I think an older Drew Dober now is is fighting with more maturity. Yes, he lost to Benil Daryush, but he definitely had Daryush in some trouble uh, in that fight, made that one mistake, and that was it. But uh, Dober is getting better. I do think uh, that is a um, you know, way too high of an odds for him as a favorite, but uh, I think Dober will pull this one out. And by the way, Longo just texted uh, late night last night. I'll call you later. So you're not getting Ray Longo today. We'll have him explain himself uh, next Monday. All right. Another fight at 155 pounds on the main card. Roosevelt Roberts, all the rage right now, trying to move to 9-0 overall and 3-0 in the UFC. He is the minus 275 favorite to do so. He draws the ultimate fighter live veteran Vince from hell. Pichelle, who comes back at plus 225. Ian Parker, you going Vince Pichelle or Roosevelt Roberts? Um, you know, this, this kind of goes back to another one of these uh, situations. Pichelle is in a situation in his career where he's just trying to not get cut or make as much money as he can to stay afloat. And that last fight against Gregor, he didn't do terrible in the beginning, but once Gregor got into his flow, we all knew what was going to happen there. Uh, I think Roosevelt Roberts here is a very interesting prospect. You know, a guy that's as aggressive as he is with his striking, he's been doing a lot with his submission game. Um, again, this kind of goes into too much athleticism, too much power. He's, he's very well-rounded. I think Michelle uh, is just kind of at the end of the, at the, end of the line here, so I'm going to go with the favorite, the, under, uh, the undefeated prospect as well. I'm excited to see him against a guy who throws as hard as Michelle, so I'm going Roosevelt Roberts. Yeah, I cannot fucking wait for this fight. Roberts certainly getting the promotional push, Ken Flo. Second straight high-profile card and slot for him. His story pretty well documented. You should look him yeah. up. Tough upbringing. Um, No-nonsense guy. You know, he's fighting to support his children. And here he draws the affable but injury-prone Vince Pichel. Kenny, he's healthy now. He has won four of five. You know, he had a four-fight winning streak going into the Gregor Gillespie fight. Um, what kind of chance do you give Vince Pichel here to spring the upset against Rosie Roberts? I actually, I think he could pull it off. Um, I, I think Roosevelt Roberts uh, has a tremendous uh, upside. I think he has a lot of potential. Um, I, I do think he moves very well. Um, I, I think he's hit some good submissions. Is he a high-level submission guy, though? I don't know. Does he have a wrestling game like a Gregor Gillespie that is going to shut Vince Pichel down? I don't know, and I don't know if his striking is really good enough uh, to just outshine someone like Pichel. I, I think he could definitely win. This is a close fight, but um, I, I think those those odds are wrong, uh, in, in my opinion. Um, I'm going to take the gamble here. I'm going with Vince Pichel for the upset. Yeah, I mean, I certainly think there's value in the number, and as Ken Flo knows as well as any sharp type who's listening to this podcast, you're, you're looking for value, right? You're not necessarily betting the fighter. You're betting the number. And so I don't know if it would change for you, Kenny, if someone had a, a gun to your head and yeah. said you have to pick the winner. Maybe you would go with the, the three-to-one favorite. I don't know. But right. I agree. I agree. I, I try to write down a betting line before I look at what the actual lines are. And I did have Pichelle as the underdog, but at like plus 140, and he's mm -hmm. plus 225. So we'll see how it goes for a very tough customer there and Vince from hell, Pichelle. All right, good bout here. Featured bout in the welterweight division on the main card. Damian Maya making his 30th UFC appearance. He is the minus 185 favorite against the streaking Anthony Rocco. Martin Rocco plus 155 as he goes for a fifth straight win here. Ian Parker, Maya or Rocco Martin for you? 
You know what? This is another fight where I'm a little surprised with the odds, as crazy as it sounds. I don't think Baia should be minus 185. I think he, I thought he was going to be like minus 145 um, because I think we have to kind of step away and look at what he's done over the years and just kind of look at where he is now at, his age and everything of that nature. And Rocco Martin, listen, this guy has been talking and following through and he's been executing. I'm going to take the gamble on the underdog here. You know, I think that his striking is better than Damian Maez. I do think that his cardio is obviously very good. Um, obviously, when it comes to a submission game, I, I don't ever want to mess with Damian. He is as good as it gets in the jiu-jitsu world, of course. Um, but Tony has shown us that he, he can play on the ground. I, I hope he doesn't get too confident and want to go in there and say, oh, I want to go submit one of the best BJJ guys ever to be in the sport. However, I do think his athleticism is there. I think he's faster. Um, I think his striking is better. So I'm going to take the gamble on this underdog and go with Rocco. All right, Rocco Martin plus 155 for Ian Parker. You know somebody who loves Ken Flo more than me, by the way, is Damian Maya. Absolutely loves <laughs> Ken Flo. Uh, Rocco Martin, though, I think it is a big storyline here coming in, Kenny. He yeah. came up in Minnesota under Brock Larson. First five pro fights took place in the great state of Minnesota. So a homecoming of sorts for him. He asked to be on this card. I believe he asked for this opponent. Wow. And I know there was a time where Tyron Woodley fell out of the Robbie Lawler fight and Anthony Rocco Martin was asking for that Robbie Lawler fight. But he gets Maya here as he goes for a fifth consecutive win. Your thoughts on Martin and Maya here in a featured bout this weekend. The first thing I was going to say about Anthony Rocco Martin was his confidence. And uh, yeah, everything you just said just kind of backs, backs that up. Uh, yeah, clearly a very confident fighter asking for guys like Damian Maya. Um, yeah, listen, I, I think that... Uh, Martin has certainly got better than the last time he got a uh, rear naked choke. I believe it was by Benil Daryush. Um, and now fighting at 170 pounds, of course, and um, moving much better, uh, putting everything uh, together really well. Is that enough to stop someone like a Damian Maya, though? I just don't think so. I, I still think that Damian Maya is out there trying to get better as a martial artist. I, I I still think he's utilizing those same weapons. He still is is coming in with his Brazilian jiu-jitsu, uh, you know, but I, I do think that Maya's takedowns, his pressure is going to be too much uh, for Martin. I think he's going to be able to get the submission at some point during this fight, maybe around the second round. All right, back-to-back disagreements, which we absolutely love. That brings us to the co-main event. In the flyweight division, Joseph Benavidez minus 190 against the number one contender, Juicy A. Formiga, who comes back at plus 160. We'll take the round in the method of victory here as well. Ian Parker, who do you have in the flyweight title eliminator, Benavidez or Formiga? Look, this is kind of a go big or go home for Benavidez. This is, in my opinion, his last absolute shot at being in this recycled division for the title. Um you know, Husio Formiga has done everything he's supposed to do. He's almost, I want to say, I hate to do it this way because Marlon Marais beat better guys, but this is a guy who almost has just beat everybody that they put in front of him who he wasn't supposed to beat, and he still can't get a title shot. I'm actually shocked this hasn't been announced as an interim title fight, now knowing that Cejudo is going to be out until uh, mm. 2020. So I just think at the end of the day with this fight, we know what Formiga brings. You know, I just think Benavidez is just going to be faster. He's definitely got better striking. I'm just hoping he doesn't get caught. Formiga is very tricky on the ground. His jiu-jitsu is top-notch. But at the end of the day, Benavides has been in, the, in all the big fights. He has fought the better competition. And I just think that if he doesn't do it now, when else is he going to do it? So I'm taking Joey jiu-jitsu with the win. I'm saying five-round decision. Unanimous decision. 
All right, wouldn't that be something if somehow they fought five rounds? But you're going Joseph Benavidez by unanimous decision over I'm sorry, not five rounds. rounds. Unanimous decision. I'm, I apologize. I'm just messing with you. No, I thought the analysis was great. And I think Joseph Benavidez is expectant that he will get a different version, Kenny, than he saw in the first meeting with Juicy A. Formiga. You and I were there. I think it was in Barueri, Brazil, in September of 2013 when Benavidez needed just three minutes and seven seconds to stop Formiga. Uh, but Formiga's now won four straight. He is a much more developed striker. Yeah. Had a nice win over Davis and Figueredo back in March and has never fought for the title. Perhaps if he can get past Benavidez, he will eventually get Henry Cejudo, who, of course, is on the mend and seems to have his eye on Bantamweight and Lomachenko and everybody else. But nonetheless, number one versus number two here in the flyweight division. Your thoughts on Benavidez and Formiga? I do agree with uh, Ian that uh, really it's it's now it's now or never for Joseph Benavidez, especially given the history with uh, uh, the current champ Henry Cejudo. This is his opportunity to get that shot, and I would be so happy for Joe, one of the one of the nicest guys in the sport. Um, but Juicy Formiga, man, has a lot of momentum. Not only is he beating, uh, not only is he on a win streak, but he's beating very tough competition. Um, I, I think the fact that it's three rounds, I think favors, uh, someone like a juicier Formiga, uh, this is tempting, but I think the experience factor for Benavides is going to be the difference here. Um, and it, it's just, uh, I'm friends with, with Joe. I would never bet against him here at, at this point, but man, this is a close one. I, I'm going to go with Joe for the win. Two straight wins for Benavidez since that decision. split decision loss to Sergio Pettis. They're both going Joseph Benavidez by decision. All right, main event could very well determine the next heavyweight title. Challenger Francis Ngannou minus 260. Junior Dos Santos plus 220. We'll need the round and the method. Ian Parker, who wins the main event in Minneapolis? Oh, I just want to... Oh then the prop bets are going to be absolutely insane. Who's going to end up with a broken jaw? Who's going to lose both teeth? Whose head's going to fly right. in the third row? You know, this is a very <laughs> crazy fight. And I think people, I, I'm again, I'm a little bit shocked at the odds. I know I keep saying this, it's not like a fucking broken record, but I don't think Junior Dos Santos should be this big of an underdog, only because if you've watched his last few fights, I mean, yes, against Taito Ivasa, there was a little bit of, you know, resistance there, but he's still Junior Dos Santos. He's still evolving. His striking game is getting better. The biggest problem, I, you know, and his cardio is good. I don't know if this gets out of the first round. If it does, is Nagano's cardio going to be able to hold up? Is he going to go out there and do what he did to Blades and Overeem, or is he going to pull a Derek Lewis and the fight he had after that and just be hesitant? I don't know. Dos Santos has been here so many times, and I'm, I'm so tempted to go with the underdog just because of that, but I'm so scared that if Francis Nagano hears this podcast, he's going to come to my home and eat me. Right. So... I, I'm going to go Naganyu round one TKO. Um, I just think, again, this has got to be his time. As much as I say that about Junior Dos Santos as well, this has to be his time. I think his confidence is back to where it was. I'm going Francis Naganyu here. See, how great would that have been, Ken Flo, if Ian Parker had picked the underdog with, like, the dog barking in the background <laughs> if he had gone with Junior Dos Santos? I but... ran so fast out of my house once my dog went nuts at the front door. You have no... I'm out of breath right now. It was like I was I love... running from the gun. You. That, <laughs> that, is, that is dedication. <laughs> so, Kenny, Junior Dos Santos has been in five UFC championship fights. The last one came against Stipe Miocic, May of 2017. Since that fight, three straight wins for JDS, Boago Ivanov, Taito Ivasa, and of course Derek Lewis most recently. And he seems totally unintimidated by Francis Ngannou. Past opponents of Ngannou will at least acknowledge 
you know, that he's a scary guy. Dos Santos ain't having it. There's a little bit of bad blood, and Gano at least has tried to decredential JDS as a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. Um, and for Ngano, there were a couple forgettable fights, obviously, against Stipe and Derek Lewis, but nobody's thinking about that right now. He has knocked out Curtis Blades and Cain Velasquez in a combined one minute and 11 seconds. I think he deserves the distinction as the betting favorite. The question is, who does Ken Flo like, and, and ultimately, how do they get it done? Man, you know, if they end up striking, which I believe they will do, um, I think Junior DeSantos' default is just too strong. I think Ngannou gets the knockout in round one. I, I think for Dos Santos, I think he has a wonderful opportunity here to hit some takedowns and maybe surprise Ngannou. I think that's his best approach. Utilize his striking to set up the takedown early uh, and, and maybe get a submission. He could, he could get it done in that manner. Uh, and, of course, he has the power and speed to, to still hurt and knock out a guy like Nganu. But I just think Nganu's confidence, his ability to move forward uh, and, and land that shot before Dos Santos does is a little bit too great for me. Um, I'm going to go with Nganu, round one knockout. Round one knockout, Francis Nganu. Ian, did you give me a round on the knockout for Nganu? I didn't write it down. I don't man. think you did. Oh, I did, and it was round oh. one, so Kenny and I have now the oh, exact same geez. picture of the co-main. That's what happens when I go first every fucking time. No, I'm just <laughs> all right, so it's all good. No, but, uh, next week, no, 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 next honestly, week. No, Kenny, you, you, I couldn't agree with you more real quick with what you just said um, because my whole hesitation right now is if JDS goes out there and tries to kind of not play into the crowd, play into I have to knock this guy out, can you imagine if Junior goes out there, throws one overhand right, and gets a single right to the ground, ends up in half guard? I mean, if he does yeah. that... It's the game changer, but I, I, your I point, agree. This is, you know, that's that's just the path to victory. So let's see where his brain's at, because if that happens, yep. whole different ball game. Yep. I'm just not sure that guys are going to be able to hold Francis Ngannou down, and even in the loss to Stipe, as terrible a 25 minute experience as it was for Ngannou, he never sort of gave up the back with finality. He never was looking for a way out. He fought through those 25 minutes, he and did. I just. I'm not sure Dos Santos, if he does get him down, is going to be able to maintain any sort of dominant position for an extended amount of time on the ground. But, of course, that is why they play the games. It is UFC Fight Night in Ghana versus Dos Santos wall-to-wall on ESPN this Saturday night. Ian Parker, great stuff as always. Big week coming up with UFC 239 next Monday, and I promise I will make Ken Flo lead, at the very least on, on Amanda Nunes and Holly Holm, if not on Jones oh. and Tiago Santos. Let's Kenny's the master of this. Let's have let's have him pick the first uh, the the not the co-main the main where there's some heavy favorites. Let's get the ones that are more evenly matched. Let's play that <laughs> game a little bit. What do you say, Ken Flo? I'm t- hey, listen, I don't I don't care either way. <laughs> How let's convicted was Ken Flo on that Korean zombie pick last week? I mean, go back and listen. Kid's <laughs> on fire. Hasn't lost a main event challenge week in over two months. We'll see if Ian Parker can change that here for the Minneapolis show this weekend. IP, great stuff, buddy. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. Looking forward to it. All right, that is it for today. Thanks to TJ DeSantis for putting it all together. Next week, as we mentioned, is a big one. UFC 239, Jones versus Santos. Probably seven picks from Ian Parker and Kenny Florin coming up next week. You can still join us in Las Vegas, by the way, July 6th. Got the Hall of Fame induction ceremony the night prior on Friday, July 5th. Hope you'll tune in this weekend. As I mentioned, live coverage on ESPN for UFC Fight Night. Ngannou versus Dos Santos. 
With that, for Ken Flom, John Anik, thank you all for listening, for subscribing. We will talk to you next Monday. Until then, don't text and drive. Yo, later. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast is a TJ DeSantis production. Its content is intended for private use only. Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and wagering week is your antidote. I'm Tom Barton, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line.